please grab a seat and, and please grab your Bibles and turn to Luke at chapter 18 in which um, Pastor RJ is going to come and share shortly with um, Luke chapter 18. Now if you don't own a Bible we'd love you to have one and so we've got Bibles up the back. Please take one, you can take it home, uh, that's our gift to you. So please open the Bibles up in front of you. We'd love you to have it open in front of you as we read from Luke chapter 18. And I'm going to read reading from verse 35 through to 43 as we continue our sermon series in the, the Gospel of Luke over the next couple of weeks. Luke 18, verse 35 to 43. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, What has happened? What, what was happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and he ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Heavenly Father, again, we ask that you will give us eyes that can see, give us ears that can hear, and hearts that are willing to yield and obey you. And I pray for myself as, as well, Lord, that... Uh, that I won't just be teaching your word, but I will be living it to be an example to all. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as we know, flying will be the best way to get to a destination, uh, but often it's also the most inconvenient way to get there. Uh, see, when you're driving, you can make much of the journey. You can enjoy the scenery. You can make stops along the way. Uh, but flying is often just the process that we go through in order to get to the destination. And that is why many people dread uh, the process of going through the airport, uh, getting to the airport, checking in, going through security, then waiting for your flight, uh, then all the additional unexpected delays, missing your baggage and so on. It's a process that we often just endure. Uh, but lately I've learned to make the most of my airport experience by closely and subtly paying attention to people. Uh, I try to entertain myself by quietly watching and listening to people in the airport. And I think you can learn a lot about people in the airport. I know it sounds a little bit creepy, um, but it's fascinating to see how people interact. Interaction between a mother and a child as they board the plane. Interaction between a group of friends as they converse in the plane. Uh, transaction between a customer and uh, a worker. And if you watch and you listen uh, carefully enough, you will see interesting personalities and behaviors and backgrounds, and even get to learn some of people's understanding of the world, their worldview. See, the gospel writer Luke, he allows us to watch and listen to different types of people and their personalities just before Jesus gets to the main destination in Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus is on his way to the city of Jerusalem where he will be uh, crucified, tortured, and so on. Uh, but verse 35, it tells us that Jesus is almost there. He's at Jericho, a few kilometers down, uh, and it's really just a few days um, 
few days till he gets there. And so it's like we're at the airport and we're just watching and listening to different people as they encounter Jesus. Last week, we saw a rich ruler who is very rich and highly moral, at least he thinks that way, but then he walks away being so sad. Uh, today, we'll meet a blind man who can see better than anyone else. Uh, next week, we'll meet a lonely tax collector who found a friend in Jesus. And so these interactions are not just interesting stories, they have a deeper significant meaning. Uh, this is why Luke wants us to pay close attention to it. And notice where our story today is located. It's just after Jesus' interaction with the disciples who it says that they do not understand and see what's going on. So they are spiritually blind. And it's just before the story of Zacchaeus the tax collector who is not, he's not looking for a miracle, but he just wanted to see, it says there, he just wanted to see Jesus out of curiosity and, and intrigue. But through his interaction, he was given salvation. And so today, it's not just a story of Jesus healing a blind man. It's really about salvation. It's about how we are to receive spiritual sight. That the gospel writer is telling us that we are all blind and some of us don't even know it. And we're not seeing and we're not understanding life the way we should. So whether we are religious and moral like the rich ruler, or maybe we're like Zacchaeus, we're like a tax collector, we're, I guess, some, in a way, immoral, we are all blind. That's what it's really saying. So the question today is, how do we move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? See, the story of the blind man is really representative of all our spiritual condition, that we are all in a state of blindness, and we just need, and we need Jesus to be able to see again. So this story is really our story in so many different ways. And therefore, we will need uh, the same three things that the blind man is, uh, did in order to see. We need three things to move from spiritual darkness into light. We need, the three things are, be able to cry for hope. We need to be able to confess our faith and have the choice to follow, right? So we need to cry for hope, confess our faith, and make that choice to follow Jesus. So let's begin this, the cry for hope. The first thing that we need to have in order to receive spiritual sight is we need to realize that our sense, we need to realize our sense of hopelessness and urgency to be saved. Right? Now, we don't know why this guy is blind or how long he's been blind. All that was mentioned was that he's blind and he's a beggar. And I think that's enough to tell us, to, to tell us what his life is like. Uh, I guess being blind in the first century means that you're, you're utterly dependent on someone else. Uh, there's no disability allowance. There's no social support. Uh, you'll need someone to take care of you 24-7. And if you don't have relatives to do that, then you'll be hopeless. A good chance he's homeless. If, that he's just feeling his way around the streets to, to find shelter. Hence, the other thing, sorry, the only thing that he can do is to sit and just beg. That his day-to-day -day food and safety are in the hands of public. He's an outcast, nothing, uh, nothing to contribute to society. He's really a social burden. It means that this person has no sense of direction and purpose in life at that time. But see, on this particular day, he hears a commotion, it says in the story. He can sense something is happening. And so he asks around, what's going on? He's, he's told, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. The rabbi 
from this obscure town of Nazareth is here. Now, I'm sure being blind, he doesn't know how far Jesus is. Maybe he's still down the road, or maybe Jesus is just right in front of him. But he took his chances. Verse 38, we're told that the blind man called out. He shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's shouting to grab his attention. He's probably doing it again and again and again. And so people around him started getting annoyed and they tried to silence him. Be quiet. Oh my goodness, shut up. Verse 39, people's comments did not deter him because it says he shouted even louder. Son of David, have mercy on me again and again and again. There's a clear sense of desperation in his call. We know that he's used to being ignored and forgotten, but this time he knows that he needs to grab Jesus' attention. This might be his only chance. He yells out in desperation. He knows Jesus is his only hope in his hopeless situation in life, that money or medicine cannot save him. Now again, let's pause here. What does this teach us? It teaches us that salvation, spiritual sight, is only for those who knows and understands that they need saving. It is for those who knows that they need to humble themselves and to cry out for help. It's for those who acknowledges that Jesus is their only hope. That Christianity is for those who can see that there is nothing or no one else can save you aside from Jesus. That Jesus, Jesus is not like your insurance policy where you buy insurance just in case something happens. That some people believe in Jesus just in case all this is true. That people, look, I've got nothing to lose, so yeah, maybe I'll believe. Some, some people become a Christian just in case they do something wrong and life doesn't turn out the way they want it to be. And so they want Jesus as their backup plan. Some people send their kids to church just in case their kids might head the wrong direction. And so they want a good influence for their kids, just in case. But see, Jesus cannot be just another possible solution to your life problems. He has to be the ultimate solution to your greatest need. That's the call. That faith in him means he is your only hope, your only savior. Because anything less means you have faith in something else. It means that something else is your savior. It means that something else, that there's something else that you're crying out to in order to give you purpose and meaning in life. Now, we saw this last week with the, with the rich ruler. He couldn't follow Jesus because he relied on his wealth as his security and his ultimate significance. Jesus said to him, leave all these behind and follow me. He's saying, make me, the condition is make me the only savior in your life and you will have eternal life. And the rich ruler as we saw last week, just couldn't let it go because that was the very source of his identity. The rich ruler believes he's, he, that, sorry, the rich ruler believes he's already got it together. But just in case he missed something, he goes to Jesus and asks, how do I get eternal life? That in a way, Jesus was his backup plan. But see, Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm the only plan. Now, I guess the question for us is, have you 
seen that in your life? Have you sensed your deep hopelessness without Jesus? Or is there something else that you're relying on to give you purpose, meaning in life? And Jesus or religion is just an add-on to your life. You know, just an extra insurance just in case. And this is, by the way, why Jesus also said, it is very, very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. Because the rich, which includes you and me in this, in this Western world, we have so much other things to save us, doesn't it? Isn't there so much other things that can bring us hope? Yes, our money, our job, our house, our spouse, our children, our car, our things, even our pets, we believe they bring us hope and meaning and security and purpose. For most people, Thursday's Powerball jackpot of $100 million will be a better hope than Jesus. But Jesus demands us. He demands that, that you should be willing to leave it all behind in order to find eternal life in me. It's a big call to put all our eggs in one basket, to go all in, to give our life to surrender. But look what happens if we cry out to Jesus, verse 40. That's a very simple statement, it's a very, but it's a very uplifting one. It says, Jesus stopped. He stopped. Now we know he's on a mission, he's busy, he's got a destination to go to. And remember, he's on his way to Jerusalem where he will be killed. If anyone has any reason to be preoccupied, it will be Jesus. But when the blind man called out to him, he stopped. If you go to King Charles' coronation next year on May, and you cry out to him as he's parading down Buckingham Palace, you will get verse 39. People will shut you up. But you won't get verse 40. I'm definite that King Charles won't stop for you. In fact, if you keep going, you'll probably get arrested. But here, King Jesus, the Son of the Most High, the one the Apostle John said, all things have been created by him and for him. And yet this king stops for the blind man. Previously, we saw him welcoming little children, insignificant children, remember we said uh, to him. In other stories, he attends to the widow. He interacts with the prostitute. He touches the leper. And next week, he will dine with a tax collector. Why? Because Jesus is a God to the helpless. He is the Savior to the, help, to the hopeless. He is a friend to sinners. And to him, that you are not just another problem that he can solve, but you are a person that he attends to. And I think this is the reason why Jesus asked him a very, very obvious question. Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, again, it's obvious that he would want to see, but by asking, Jesus is giving him his dignity. He doesn't just see a blind man. He sees a man who is blind. And so to Jesus, this man's disability is not his only identity. That Jesus honors him as a person created in the image of God. Jesus goes to him without any prejudice and, and judgment and criticism. And so he allows the blind man to respond in order to honor this man. That's the first lesson. Help is given to those who ask for it. 
Sight is given to those who acknowledge that they can't see. Salvation is given to those who ask to be saved. That life is given to those who knows that their death is coming. And that's why we have passages like Psalm 18, verse 6. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And so from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. It's saying that God hears, God stops, God heals, and God saves. Have you cried to God for help? Second point, the confession of faith. The second requirement to receive salvation is to have a right understanding of who Jesus is. It's to have a good theology and to confess that before him. So it's not enough it's not enough to call on to any God. It's not even enough to mention Jesus' name like it's a magic word. But we need to know who we're crying to. Uh, see, by, by calling Jesus son of David, the blind man is really declaring what he believes. Um, that is, the, by saying the son of David, he's, he's declaring his basis of faith. And now, here's why it's important to know who we are addressing. Um, if, you, if you pass by... Uh, Tungabi Station or even Blacktown Station around the shops quite often. I'm often there in the morning. Um, you'll know that there are a few people there uh, asking for a dollar. And the other day I thought, you know, why is it always they just ask for a spare dollar? Why not for a spare 10 bucks or maybe a hundred dollars or maybe even a thousand? Well, it's because people begging, they know and they feel that anything more would be impossible. So they're trying to be realistic. They believe that other people are not generous enough to give that much, to give more, or people don't have that much to spare. So they ask you for a dollar because they believe that's all you can spare, right? Now, didn't you ever wonder why the blind, blind man asked for something smaller? Right? He could have asked for something more possible. He could have kind of lowered his expectation. When Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He could have asked, do you have spare bread so that I can eat today? Do you have a spare dollar, Jesus? But the blind man asked for something only God can do. He asked Jesus to make him see. Now, what does that tell us about his theology? That he believed Jesus is much more than just a teacher or an influential leader, but that he can do the impossible. The blind man confidently, he asked for a life-changing miracle, that he has no reservations. And so... What we ask from him often reveals what we believe of him. What we ask from Jesus is often reveals, it often reveals what we believe of Jesus. That our prayers or our petitions often reflect our theology. Maybe you're not asking anything. Maybe you're not praying. Why? Because you're not thinking and believing it's not going to change anything. So why bother praying? He's not listening. Why bother pray? Or maybe your prayers are like a shopping list. It's like an invoice, purely business transaction. Because deep down, you think God is there to make you happy by giving you more stuff. And he's like a genie. If you pray the right way, he'll grant every wish. But God, so God is God to you, but he's like a manager. Or does your prayer really reflect that he is the God of the universe, but at the same time, he, he speaks to you in a, in, in a very relational uh, tone? And so you ask to, to deepen that relationship, that you ask to bring him glory and not yours. 
Now, I'm not saying that you need to get all your theology right and sorted before you become a Christian. Uh, that you don't, I'm saying like, you, you don't need to go to Bible college in order to become a Christian. But at least it's saying here that you need to know the very basis of why you're going to Jesus for help. See, the blind man shouted, Son of David, have mercy on me. There's a couple of things here. Firstly, if you look at 2 Samuel verse se chapter 7, uh, we have it in the screen. This is God's promise to David. It says that when your days are over and rest with your ancestors, again to David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name. And he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. See, in the Old Testament, God promised David that his offspring, his kids, will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And this person, whoever it is, will have this perfect relationship with God as father and son. Now, we know it wasn't King Solomon, David's son, because his kingdom didn't last very long. And his relationship with God was quite messed up. In fact, he's the one, he's the reason why the kingdom split. And so since then... The, the Israelites have been waiting for this Old Testament prophecy, right? And throughout the Old Testament, there's, a, there's, there's this big expectation that a coming king, a savior, or a messiah will establish God's kingdom forever. Now, we can speculate that the blind man has been listening to Old Testament sermons and preaching about the coming messiah. And maybe for the last few weeks and months, he's been hearing about this preacher and prophet of healing the lame, raising the dead, casting out demons, and preaching that the kingdom is here. And then possibly he puts the two together and comes to the conclusion that Jesus is this promised Savior. See, being blind, he wouldn't have relied on what he can see like everybody else. He didn't depend on miracles and performance and the show. He wasn't easily swayed by the crowd. But what he's doing, he's listening. He's contemplating. As he sits there, he's thinking of what it means to him and to the world. And so he probably came to this conclusion that even before he met Jesus, right? Even before he met Jesus, he knew that this is the promised Messiah. And so when the opportunity came, he declared what he already believed. That Jesus is the promised king. And so he cries out to him on the basis of what he already heard. And so in a way, he became a believer through hearing rather than seeing. Now, secondly, let me pause there. Secondly, because, because of what he knows, he asked for mercy. He also knows that he's, because he knows that he's undeserving. If he's really the king and the son of the most high, then he knows that he's a sinner begging before a holy God. But notice his request. Right? He has all this confidence. He says, make me see. I know you can do it, Lord. Right? He doesn't ask for spare change because he knows that Jesus can offer a lot more. But at the same, sorry, at the same time, he asks for mercy because he knows he's undeserving. And right then, his theology is good enough to ask with confidence, but at the same time to ask with humility. To see Jesus as the Son of God and to see himself as a sinner. That's what it takes. That maybe some of us here, 
have been sitting in church for a long time, you've been listening to sermons your whole life, but you still haven't really understood those two crucial truths, that you are a great sinner, but you have before you a great Savior. And hence, you haven't really cried out for mercy and for salvation. Two weeks ago, we met the Pharisee in a parable who was blinded by his own self-righteousness and could not see his own need to be forgiven and saved. Last week, we met the young ruler who was blinded by his riches and could not see what Jesus is offering, something, some, something much more better and fulfilling. But here's a blind man who was not able to see physically, but he can see spiritually. And, and Jesus said that your faith has healed you. Literally in Greek, it says that your faith has saved you. Same word for salvation. And this is why the story is highlighting that he is not just healed physically, but he was saved spiritually. But church, do you see the irony in the stories? It is the blind who is really able to see and understand. It is the humbled sinner that has become righteous and worthy to enter the kingdom. But those who think that they can see already are blinded. And those who think that they are righteous enough, good enough, they are unworthy to enter. And it's almost like the gospel writer is pushing the question to all of us. Have you realized that you are a great sinner and Jesus is your great savior? Have you cried out to him for help? And I feel like Jesus' question is directed to you and me. What can I do for you? He's asking. What are you going to say? What can I do for you? A bit of money to fix our relationships, to give us a bit of a break. They're all good things to ask, but have you asked him to save you from your sins? Have you asked him to openly, to open your spiritual blind eyes? Have you asked him for mercy? Or are you like the disciples who, who still do not see and understand? You have eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear. Now, there's one more element that we need for salvation, and it's our third point, the choice to follow. Uh, in order to be a Christian, we need to realize our need. Firstly, we need to confess our faith. But thirdly, we need to make the choice to follow Jesus. Verse 43, it's, it's really both the calling of salvation and the evidence of our faith. That upon seeing, uh, upon seeing, the blind man started following Jesus and living a life of worship. Now, we won't spend too much time here uh, because I think next week we'll see a good example of what it means to follow Jesus. But just notice that when he got his sight, he doesn't go sightseeing. He doesn't even go to see his relatives, but he becomes a disciple. See, in other passages, Jesus calls people to follow him. Here, the blind man makes the decision to follow Jesus. Because following Jesus is both a calling, it's a requirement for salvation. But at the same time, if you're really a Christian, it's a privilege. It's a great joy to honor and follow our Lord. The very gift and the very blessing of being able to see again, he uses that to follow Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, Right? The blind man, and the blind man's reaction, it says that other people also started praising God. Now let me end with this. In Acts 26, 
Here's another person who was blinded, right? He was blinded. He's a self-righteous Pharisee, uh, but on his way, uh, on his way to persecute other Christians, he was blinded by Jesus, but he was given sight. And in Acts uh, 26, Paul recounts his encounter with Jesus. He said that when he saw Jesus, Jesus told him this. He says that I have appeared to you and appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and, you, and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in them. Friends, that's, uh, that's not just for the Apostle Paul. That is the mission of everyone who has received spiritual sight. This is a calling for all, for all of us who have seen the Lord Jesus, that we are called to open the eyes of others, to lead them from darkness to light, to guide them from the power of Satan to God, so that they too will receive forgiveness and sins and be with all the saints in the faith. That's our great calling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the Holy Spirit that allows us to be convicted of our sins, but at the same time seeing the glory and grace of our Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray for those who, who cannot see. We ask that you, that you will have mercy upon them, that they will cry out, and you will respond with your Holy Spirit, opening their eyes and breaking their hearts of stone, giving them a heart of flesh. Amen.